up, y'all? I'm Kente Scott, and that is my sister. Shonda Scott. Also my co-host of What Sibling Rivalry, the podcast and the video. We are up in here. How you doing today, sister? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, uh, just, you know, just taking it all in, trying to find ways to just, you know, relax and rest and recharge. Yeah. Recharge and, and, and release. What they used to say on uh, <laughs> Different World, relax, release. I forgot, Debbie Allen had a saying, it was like three of them, but it ended with release. Because there's a lot going on. Uh, condolences to Breonna Taylor's family who's dealing with this issue again 190 days later. You all know we've seen in the news, uh, the Kentucky Attorney General decided not, to, oh, I'm sorry, he blamed it on the grand jury, who dis, he decided not to charge any of the officers who actually hit Breonna Taylor with a bullet. They only charged the one who missed. So he got charged for hitting a wall, not hitting a person. So yeah, Kentucky, yeah. yeah. It's like, it almost says, it's like, it's setting it up in a way that says a license to do whatever you want to, to black yeah. people and it's okay, you know, there's no recourse. Right. There has to be some recourse this time because we are, like Ida B. Wells said, we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're over it, right. and, you know. Yeah, it's, 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 it's sad that we're no longer surprised by these non-indictments. Non like, it's like, oh, okay, this is what you always do. Like, it's a simmering anger. Like, this time it's, it's just like it's, it's too much. It's, and the guy, and the, and the rationale that they give, because here's the thing, before the Mike Brown jury, before the Mike Brown grand jury, 99% of cases that went to a grand jury went to trial. They, they, they ended in indictments. They didn't necessarily go to trial, but they ended in indictments because the whole purpose of the grand jury is because the prosecution is supposed to present a case favorable, favorable enough that the grand jury will basically give it a stamp to move it forward. I find it interesting that, you know, how often is the attorney general the one talking about these cases? It's usually the right. DA. So yeah. since he's a black man, it's interesting mm -hmm. that they decided that he needed to be the one to present the information because I haven't noticed that it's attorney general that speaks on these. It's usually the DA in right. the area that's speaking on this. So I yeah, think well, you know, yeah, they got to they got to put the uh, they got to put the face on it that'll make the message softer to talk to your people. You, you, you're right. not a, like like somebody said, all skin folk ain't kin folk. But ninety nine percent of the cases. Mallory, is that her name from Black Lives Matter? Oh yes, she Mickey got Mike. in and she yeah. told it like it <laughs> is. And she brought it back to like I think everything that we that happens, I think there's some self reflection that has to happen. And mm -hmm. she was like. There were black people that sold black people in order for them to have the slavery. Right. The, the passage had to have allies on their side that were yeah. not our allies that looked like us. Right. But like all, she said, all uh, kin folk, ain't, all black skin folk ain't kin folk. Ain't you kin know folk. that famous yeah. uh, quote, which is actually yeah. true. Which is like, true. We we've been we've been used, or we've been we, we've there's always been. You know, the spook who sat by the door, we've always allowed ourselves to be used to infiltrate our, what we're, our culture. Like we, I don't know, you know, everybody else probably does it, but we are, we, we are quick to, to grab that bag and be like, hey, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go with that slave. I'll, I'll make sure he knows his name. You know, so. Ours is so bad because it, it part of the passage, a little passage that happened is that 
people from the motherland had to be trading other people from right. the motherland. And it's like, it's such a, it carried over to this land too. Be, but the mm -hmm. spook that sat by the door was supposed to be the one called sitting there in the room at the table, giving right. the information. That's why it's important to have people that look like you that have the uh, commitment of the community too. Right. At the table, because then you have a different voice and a different yeah. answer. So, um, Anyway, you know, it's, it, it serves us no good just to have someone there just because of their color. Like, I've, right. I've never for that in any election or anything. It's like, exactly. you're not going to be there and not be an advocate for the culture and the cause that's happening. Then, you know, I don't care what color you are. You know what I mean? That doesn't matter. It doesn't help. It doesn't do anything. If you're not helping Black lives uh, socially, economically, and, just, and, and with justice, and you're at the table and you're a Black live, then it, you you could be green if you're helping the cause and we're all for it that's what it's about e equity yes equity and that and that and goes and goes to uh this this uh, this november election uh we gotta i've said it before but we gotta remember to vote from the bottom up we always worry about the president but that doesn't affect us locally and if in in ferguson and they they you, you they changed that they they changed the whole landscape of their local government because of how they did the Mike Brown case. So Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky has the same opportunity right now to change the landscape, even if it's at the midterm elections or four years from now to change the landscape for those people who didn't didn't utilize the vote that you gave them. They voted that person in. That person was voted in. So. If he's not doing what you want to do, you can you can vote him out. And then after you vote, we got to hold folks accountable. You know, we grew up with parents that went to city council meetings and used to go to school board meetings and school board council meetings and all of that. But so that they can know, oh, these constituents show up. Like our votes are taken for granted because we vote and disappear. You know, yeah, I voted. I voted for. Uh, I voted for Clinton and disappeared. But you don't hold anybody accountable. Then after the fact, we want to complain about it. Go to the go to the, the the city council meetings. Let your mayor and your city council people know your name. Once they start knowing your name, they start changing how they think about policing you, or making policy for you and your neighborhood. But that's that's our part. We we got to do our part as well. And it's it's not it's not you know the, the the protesting and all of that is is beautiful. But after you vote, hold those folks accountable. The vote is just the start of it. Right. Right. Yep, you got to vote and protest or stand, you know, keep people accountable. But the voting is important. And that's why, um, did you, speaking of voting, let's just shift it a little bit. Did you say, see Get Your Booty to the Polls video? <laughs> that's my favorite PSA. I played I'm like, that. I'm not mad at it. I mean, well, I kind of was like, you know, that's interesting in the way they were just breaking it down to them. Like, you know, yes. if you want to make it rain, you got to be able to, you know, they tied exactly. it all to the local election. They were talking right. about me. That was pretty ingenious that was ingenious like that was i i love that they use their platform because it even goes back to the bible you got to meet them where they are there's right. plenty of voters in the strip club <laughs> just hanging so, out there are plenty of non-voters in the strip club exactly. that's what voters. they're trying yeah. to say too yeah. like don't sit here and not vote yeah. this is impacting your life like, yeah different. like even i think go step further take if you got an i voted sticker and you go into a strip club, you should get a free lap dance. I'm, 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 I'm with that. I'm okay, with now you're getting into the man's money. So whatever. That's hey, what you hey it's just one lap dance. It's I'm one lap dance. They're still gonna tip. It's just I'm one just lap dance. 
get your booty to the polls. Get That's your all booty I'm to saying. The polls. I, I love that <laughs> oh, one. That's amazing. That a good one. So, so I, well, we have a fun show today. I'm yeah. excited. And I, I guess just showed up, so we we can bring them on in. This is I'm excited about this. You know I am. Shonda and I are excited. We've been working on getting these two on our podcast, and they came together. Quarantine is working, y'all. The quarantine is working. We're getting some fabulous folks up in here. You've known them for years, like decades. You remember them from when they was little. Like I said, they've been doing pod, they've been doing interviews since they 10, 11 years old. Ray been on TV since he was seven years old. Uh, these are the Leonard brothers, Ray and Jarrell Leonard. Their father is Sugar Ray Leonard, one of, one of my boxing favorites. I actually did a, a boxing scene with him in LA Heat. We'll talk about that later. But please, welcome to What Sibling Rivalry, Ray and Jarrell Leonard, the Leonard brothers. Yay! Oh, thank you, uh, Kente and Shonda. Thank you. We appreciate you having us on. Uh, it's fun. And this whole quarantine thing is like we actually getting to spend more time together because I'm on the West Coast and he's on the East Coast because of this okay. right now. So we appreciate it. That's great. That's great. Well, hey, I just wanted to set it up for the listeners because, you know, some of our listeners don't even remember when there wasn't an internet, when there, what, when there were only four TV networks that were on. There were only four channels you really had. And if you had cable, man, you were like living the luxury life. So we're talking about a time when Jet Magazine and Ebony Magazine was the only thing that we had in Black America to see positive images of ourselves and your family were one of those positive images so i'm telling you that you guys i'm the big sister that you guys never knew you had us african americans we saw ebony magazine and jet magazine with your family on there and your family was our family so we was cousins and siblings even if you didn't know so it's a pleasure to actually meet you and talk to you because we've loved you even before we even meet you on what sibling rivalry. Yeah, so we gonna um, say what's up, cousins? <laughs> yeah, hey, family. We all we all family out here. So yeah, that's right. We made nothing change. So I'm old enough to to remember when you watch TV and TV would go off. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. But you, you, times have changed. Yeah. And you and yourself in a sense too. When I saw that you all, you know, you all are adults with families, and and yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm still have you in the Jet magazine when the babies came. I remember Jarrell. I remember even you coming around, you know, because then they mentioned that you were gonna, ha they were having another child, and it was just like, what a cute story, and what, and how much you guys, you know, in our life back then, even now, African Americans still are looking for images to inspire them. But back then, we really didn't have that many. So you yeah. all were ones that inspired like all, all of America, but especially African American. And it was such a happy time. And that's why, that's what, what sibling rivalry is all about too, how we were bro all bro brought up and raised and how those values and those times are still applicable for today. To keep up with the latest on What Sibling Rivalry podcast, Please subscribe to us on your favorite platform. On Apple Podcasts, click on the subscribe button. And please don't forget to leave us a review and rating. On Spotify, click on the follow button under our picture. And on Stitcher, click on the plus sign under our picture. This will keep you up to date on all the fun and funny.
Yeah. But I want to ask Ray real quick, what was that like? Just, I mean, I'm sure you've heard people all your life with the same kind of story that I'm telling about how you and your family impacted us as far as, you know, seeing you on the commercials and seeing you in Ebony and Jet Magazine. What was that like growing up as a young child, though, and now into a man? What, what was that like for your life? Well, I think, I mean, we didn't really realize the magnitude of it or what was actually going, uh, going on, really, while I was growing up, uh, because it was all happening so fast. I mean, you know, my, my parents are only 16 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And we started in, in Palmer Park, Maryland. We had nothing. And all of a sudden, it just took off. And we had this meteoric rise to success. And everybody knows your name. And you know, you're walking around to uh, to the malls, and then people are are clapping or, or saying nice things to you, and, and they recognize you. And so it was a kind of a whirlwind thing. And um, you know, when we did the Seven Up commercial, I didn't even want to be on TV. I mean, I'm a, such a shy person, a person that's uh, introverted, really. And um, you know, I, I had to bribe my father. I said, "Look, you gotta buy me a three wheeler if I'm gonna do this commercial." <laughs> Not knowing anything about <laughs> residuals, I didn't know about residuals. Now, once I learned about that, I was like, "Okay, this, this is even better." You're right. <laughs> Where's my money? Huh? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm gonna need a toy but, if I show up. Oh, well, that's <laughs> interesting. So then, what was your life then, Jarrell? Because yours was when, by the time when you came, then I mean, you guys were star-studded, fabulous to yourselves, even. You always were that to us in the world, but to you, you came into this. Right, right. So uh, me and my brother, we're 11 years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time I got there, you know, my dad's career was coming towards the end, but he was still, you know, very famous and doing very well. And I just thought that it, this was the norm. You know, we used to go out to dinner and go to movies. I'm like, why is everybody coming up to my dad and asking for autographs and pictures right. and all that? So, I, you know, it, it really didn't hit me. And, you know, until I got a little bit older, figure out, you know, who, you know, who he really was in the community, how much he meant to people of color, you know, coming up, like you said, you know, you really didn't have that back in those times. So to have that kind of family and the people of a color and power like that was really something special. And it didn't hit me till later on, but when it hit me, it hit me big. Yeah. I, I have a question for, for both of you, uh, because you, you guys are both, like I said, very grounded, very well-rounded men, like that had to come from growing up. How did your parents keep a level of normalcy in all of that, you know, pomp and circumstance and, and celebrity world. Uh, I know it's not as crazy as it was now as it was then. I mean, then as it was now, but how did they keep a level of normalcy to let you guys just be kids? Well, I guess I'll, I'll go first. Um, I think they just, they just figured it out out of necessity, um, especially my mother. My mother was the rock, and she wanted to make sure that we had uh, some sense of normalcy. I mean, I went to public schools all throughout my life. I didn't ever get go to a private school um, because I didn't want anybody to treat me any different. Even though I had a 600, I mean, a 300-pound uh, 6'6 bodyguard walking around with me, uh, that <laughs> I kind of stood out a little bit. But, <laughs> but other than that, I wanted to be, you know, just just a normal kid and try to have a normal life. And I think my mother was was the one that that really, um, you know, put everything, you know, uh, sacrificed so much to make sure that Jarrell and both of us had, a, you know, some sense of normalcy in the life. And I think that one of the big things is that if you didn't carry yourself in a way that made people uh, think you weren't accessible and, um, you know, we were humble and we were just happy for the ride, the journey and um, enjoying it. So I, I think that was part of the part of uh, reason why it actually turned into something that wasn't as uh, detrimental as, as you would think. Okay. 
Yeah, and just, to, just to piggyback off that, um, like, like my brother stated, you know, our family didn't come from money. You know, my dad had to work for it to get there. So we've always had that sense of humbleness that my mother instilled in us. You know, to ne never think you're better than somebody else and to always stay humble. And I, I think those were, you know, two of the things that she really instilled in us as young kids growing up. So that really kind of helped us uh, grow up ourselves and realize how to treat people and how to treat the people that was around us. Cool, cool. And another question for both of you, but I want Jarrell first. Jarrell, uh, you say you're 11 years younger than your brother. How yeah. was that dynamic for you growing up? Uh, did it make you guys closer or did it, you know, how, how was it for you as, as the younger brother? And then for Ray, I have a, I'm a single father of one. My sister is a single mother of one. And they didn't want no siblings. Like if I'd have had another sibling for my daughter at 11, it would have been a problem. But you say you are like the father brother. So you kind of embraced it. So how did that come about? But Jarrell first, how was it for you? So I, I would explain it as a gift and a curse, you know, because because of the, the, the age different, we weren't as close back then, um, you know, as we are now. Just because, you know, being 11 years apart, he was at a different point in his life when I was born. By the time I got to the point where, you know, I was starting to understand stuff, he was in college doing his own thing, trying to get his own life going, you know, because he had, he had a daughter at a young age, so he was trying to do his own thing. Um, but also, he was there to teach me uh, the stuff that he had already gone through, the, the mistakes that he made, what to expect. So that's why I say it was a gift in that sense, um, because he had the knowledge to instill in me at the young age. Ooh. Yeah, for, for me, I mean, that's that's basically what it was. I wanted to leave kind of a, a roadmap, you know, for, for him because my father was always trapped. So um, I, I, wanted, I wanted to be that be that person for him that, that was around, that would go to his games and hang out with him uh, and, uh, you know, be that male figure, that positive um, role model in, in his life at that point in time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I – when I went off to college, you know, he, he moved to Atlanta with my mother and, you know, I would always travel back and forth just checking on him because I always felt that I was the, the uh, responsible for them. I wanted to be protective of the protector in the household. And uh, it, it was an interesting dynamic because now, you know, we get to hang out and go talk and do everything. Once he finally got to a position, actually, I probably made him start hanging out a little bit early when he was about 14, 15. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it, was, it was just a, a different different journey of how to do it. And I, my goal was to try to be as, as good a person as I, I could be to show him that, hey, you can do it too. You don't have to lean on, you know, our father or, or whatever else we have. Because back when I was young, Muhammad Ali uh, told me that all this, whatever you have, can be taken away from you at any moment. Right. So, so always be humble and always be hungry. And so that's how we are. I mean, I, I work every day like it's, it's past day. <laughs> so, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's 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 you know it. Well, you, I, you still you still look like you you still look like that little baby to me. I'm sorry, I I, I still yeah. I love it. But part <laughs> of it is that you have your father's name, Ray Ray Leonard Jr. So people, right. I'm sure they know you before they know you coming in the room. But you both yeah. were excelled in sports in college. So did were you did you feel any pressure to to keep your father's legacy going because of your last name? Like we have cousin uh, that that fathers with great sports figures and they have their family's name and they actually went into the same sport with the family the, the, the father went into. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure with that. You having to live up to this, 
image and what expectations you have and what the world has of you. So Ray, did you, did you, how did you all balance going to college, playing sports, and then the pressure of the legacy of your dad and your, and you actually carrying your dad's name? Well, I knew early on that I didn't want to go into the boxing realm. I didn't like get hit in the face. That was a prerequisite for being a boxer. So you know, I, I had a few fights and, and did well, but I just, I just didn't like that. I figured if I put on a helmet and I, I could you know, inflict some pain on somebody else, and it's a little bit different. So um, I found family in football uh, because there was so much craziness going on in our life. Football was a centering thing to me because I had to be a part of a team. It wasn't just me as an individual. And then in the track and field side, I just kind of found out that I was good at hurdles because the coach needed somebody else to do it. And <laughs> for me, getting the college scholarship to go play a sport and, and have my own um, success uh, in, in athletics, that, that was the gold medal for me. I mean, that was me being the first person in my family ever to go to college and uh, you know, show that here we can follow a different path. That's great. That that's a legacy right there. Mm -hmm. That is a great legacy right there. Tremendous. Yeah. We go, we stay.